Hi there. It's Brooke Shields. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile artworks and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in California. I love Leslie's colorful pullovers, and with a full range of accessories, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. And this month, you'll receive a unique gift with every purchase. Go spark some joy at leslieevers.com. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S dot com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. What do you do when life doesn't go according to plan? That moment you lose a job or a loved one or even a piece of yourself. I'm Brooke Shields, and this is is Now What, a podcast about pivotal moments as told by people who lived them. Each week I sit down with a guest to talk about the times they were knocked off course and what they did to move forward. Some stories are funny, others are gut-wrenching, but all are unapologetically human and remind us that every success and every setback is accompanied by a choice, and that choice answers one question. Now what? So I asked Chris if there was anything that he wanted to say to you. And he said, tell him I loved watching him on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. Can, can you tell me about that oh, experience? yikes. I loved being on it, but I had one of those. I had that thing happen that I was afraid would happen. When you watch it at home, you're like, oh, it's this. And then when you're actually there in the moment, um, oh. I had a huge brain freeze. And apparently the other contestants behind me were like, it's burnt. How can you not see this? And it, oh, it was so embarrassing. Oh, God. I could never do those. Total brain freeze. I could never do those things. Even if I knew all of the information, I think I would just panic for some reason. Oh, yeah. But I um, I remember there's a great comedian named uh, Tom Kenny. He's the voice of SpongeBob. And he talks about you watch Wheel of Fortune and you think that you're a genius because the people on that show are going, I'm going to try to guess a stitch in time saves pork. <laughs> and then so you're like I'm the smartest person people are idiots and then right after Wheel of Fortune is Jeopardy where you feel like the dumbest like <laughs> just stuff you've never heard of you're like why, why are they doing this to my ego right now my guest today is Patton Oswalt. Patton is someone I have admired for quite some time. He's an Emmy and Grammy Award-winning comedian, an actor, and truly a genuinely good guy. 
If you haven't seen him on one of his many comedy specials, chances are you've heard him as the voice of Remy in Ratatouille, or maybe you've seen him on AP Bio or King of Queens, Veep, Gaslit, Young Adult, the list just goes on. Patton has had an incredible career with tremendous range. He's one of those rare actors who can appeal to both a five-year-old and a 50-year-old. He's also had some very public now-what moments, including the unexpected loss of his wife, Michelle, back in 2016. Patton's life is an exercise in resilience, and his story is one that I think will resonate with many people, especially those who are grieving a great loss. So without further ado, here is Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt! Brooke! So nice to see you. How are you? Good! Good. How, um, my God, I, uh, I was just thinking I have not seen, uh, Chris Henchy in a decade or so. I, I, I said the same thing and he was like, oh man, that's so great that Patton is coming on your show. I miss him. We've got to see him. Tell him I say hi. Yeah. Um, now I'm from New York and you're, you were on an episode of Seinfeld. So it would kind of be a logical question as to which one of us is a more authentic New Yorker. <laughs> you are, you could not be more authentically New Yorker. Not only are you, you're more authentic than the New Yorkers who live there now because you got to grow up during the most New Yorkiest of New York. You grew up in the 70s and 80s when everything that influenced fashion, hip hop, everything, you were right in the middle of that. You could look down on current New Yorkers. That is how that is how authentically New York you are. You grew up during all that stuff. I was in the in the heart of it, definitely. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the bland suburbs of Northern Virginia. No culture, nothing. Just suburbs. <laughs> we got everything. We got everything six months late. We we had we had such opposite childhoods. You were there at the epicenter. You were like watching the Talking Heads form, and I was finding out about the Talking Heads my senior year of high school after they were about to break up. Like that's how <laughs> slow the news was getting to me. <laughs> were you just like what kind of little kid were you? I was a little. I was a, a, a kid who was super into monsters, films, the grotesque, because where I grew up was so peaceful and so solid and steady that I craved the weirdness because there was no change in the structure at all. So I wanted the chaos. I wanted that weirdness. It was just hard to get to it because, you know, I got it all secondhand. Like, what did you do for fun? What was, what would like a big thing you would look <laughs> forward to would be? Well, one thing we would do for fun, maybe you, you will agree with this. Boy, the seventies was about, um, benign parental neglect. We basically almost got killed every day, riding bikes without helmets, building ramps, jumping them. There were construction sites all over our development. We would go play war games in the half-constructed houses and fall through foot. It's amazing any of us survive when you look back at the childhood that we had in the 70s and 80s. Because we're supposed to be outside and active. This is good parenting, even though we're riding our bikes into gorges. Were your parents funny? My parents themselves weren't funny, but they loved comedy. My dad was a huge comedy fan and had, you know, Steve Martin records, Jonathan Winters records. So there was, I always had access to really good comedy. And then having that stuff, like watching Carol Burnett with my parents would lead to me sneaking downstairs on Saturday night to watch SNL. 
Who are your um your like icons, comedy icons of that of that era? I mean, Richard Pryor was oh. he was just like massive uh, and still is to me. Uh, Steve Martin, George Carlin, obviously, mm. all the SNL stuff, all the SCTV stuff. But then once I started doing comedy when I was 19, my influences were just all my friends. When I went to my first open mic, which I didn't do well at, but I was like, oh my God, I'm actually hanging out at the source of where people are making up jokes. I'm actually here watching it get invented. And I just loved the hang. I loved the lifestyle so much that I knew that this is the world I wanted to be in. What did your parents say when you said, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be a comedian? That was, <laughs> well, here's what was weird. I was, I, I started doing open mics between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And, and that's, that summer was when I realized, oh, I really want to pursue this. And my parents, my dad was, my dad loves comedy, so he was very excited. My mom, of course, being a mom, was like, but I want you to have a backup job. I want you to be safe. And it was also this unspoken, you just finished your freshman year of college. You're going to finish college, and then you can do whatever mm -hmm. you want. You can't, like, I don't want you dropping out of college to pursue comedy. At least finish college, which made college kind of frustrating for me because especially senior year, I knew what I wanted to be doing. I mean, I was getting booked at that point. I was a professional comedian. So it felt very, it felt like I was in that dream, you know, those dreams where you're back in high school and you're like, but I know, but I'm, I'm Brooke Shields. I have a wife and family in New York. Yeah, but you got to do this geology test. You're like, no, this doesn't apply to me anymore. And it's like, that was the actual life I was living for real. Okay. Well, that was a perfect segue into my next question. I named the show Now What? Because it's really, to me, it's about those pivotal moments in your life, you know, when things don't go the way you expected them to, or you think they should, or, and you have to find a way to move forward. So if you were to like, look at those early years, what were some of those Now What moments? Well, a big Now What moment for me was, um, you know, I got engaged when I was in college and I was going to get married and live in Northern Virginia and try to make it as a comedian. And the, the girl I was engaged to was a wonderful person, but she was very open and honest about, I don't want to leave this area. I'm very happy living here. And I'd like us to live here. And I realize I have to go because the, the comedy boom in the late eighties was kind of collapsing. And I'm like, I need to move to work. So I flipped a coin and I was like, do I go to New York or San Francisco? Actually, I fake flipped a coin. I pretended like I did, but I had a friend say, if you're going to go someplace and starve, go someplace warm. So that's one less problem you need to worry about. So I moved <laughs> to San Francisco where there were a lot of clubs, but I had to break off an engagement and it was, it was really rough. Um, so that was that big, you know, that was one of them. And then there was another one where I remember I was really, really in the San Francisco scene and really loved it, but I had an opportunity to go down to LA, which at the time, and I don't know if you remember how it was in the early 90s, it was very much Gen X, grunge, riot girl, don't sell out, <laughs> stay real, don't move down to LA. And so I had to make that decision. Do I stay in San Francisco? Do I move down to LA? And there's always been those little moments where you have to make a, a choice. And sometimes the best choice is to do what feels like the uncomfortable, scary thing. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents 
a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi there, Brooke Shields here. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile, artworks, and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in sunny California. I love Leslie's cozy and colorful pullovers. And with a full range of accessories and home decor, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. That's big. And this month, with every purchase, you'll receive a unique gift based on your order value. So what are you waiting for? Visit leslieevers.com and pick out something joyful today. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. You've had such an incredible personal journey. And <sighs> there's one very tragic event that, that you talk about in your special, Annihilation. Um, I, it's yeah. beyond a now what moment. Um, but can you talk a little bit about yeah. your first wife, Michelle? Michelle who passed away very in, suddenly. Very, very suddenly in, in 2016, just out of nowhere. It was horrible. I was just talking to my daughter about because she's 13 now, and I was saying, if I seemed very cold and distant to you during that time, because I know that you were going through some bad stuff, and I just, in my mind, I think I went into defensive mode and that she's gone through enough shock and trauma, I can't let her see me crying and breaking down and freaking out. I've got to be this strong steady pillar for her and I can do my uh, healing out of sight of her. And now I'm wondering, was that the best idea? Because I really 
got wired into how traumatic that must have been for, because I could just imagine if I had lost my parents at her age, it would have shattered my world. So I, I, I think I overcorrected to make sure that she had this absolutely steady presence. And in being this steady presence, I did, I wasn't as human as I was. So I was experiencing it and hiding it. And then it wasn't until later that I could start to, to experience joy and actual life again. Um, although the, the people in my grief group were like, you will experience joy again. I know you can't imagine this, but you will. It will happen. Did someone tell you that there was this grief group or did you look, look for yeah, it? Yeah, I, I had a friend who lost his wife and he turned me on to this place. Although this was, this was interesting. So I called them immediately because I wanted my daughter to get into a grief group immediately. And they said, you actually have to wait a couple of months because if you go into the group right now, you will end up not processing a lot of this stuff because we will, you'll get the tools too early. You actually have to let this be painful and sloppy for a while and let all of this stuff get out. And then you go to the grief group to process it. But if you go here too early, we'll nip it in the bud and you'll never actually face it. And it was this really why it was a harsh thing to hear, but these are people that knew and have gone through this and were just like, no, no, you have to. This is what you have to do. Who were the the people that you were able to lean on at that time? Um, my family, my, Michelle's family, all of her. She came from a massive Irish brood. My, my family is my mom, my dad, and my brother. Her family is like 60 people. And um, so they <laughs> were there for me. And then also, I know this sounds really weird. A lot of my, I'm very lucky. A lot of my friends are comedians. And comedians really understand darkness and know how to mock it in, in, in a very smart, tasteful way that makes it manageable. I remember six months after uh, Michelle passed, my manager was like, you got an offer to be on this show, those who can't. It's a little part. Just go and do something. Go work. You need to just go and do something. So I went and did that. And at this point, like my friend's sister had died and then... This other friend of mine, her husband had died, and I'm sitting there with Susie Essman. Susie Essman was also on the show, and I'm. She's like, "Are you okay, sweetie?" I was like, "Yeah, I just, you know, like my wife passed away, and now my friend's sister just died, and my other friend's husband just died. It's like I feel like I'm. Am I this avatar of death? Am I just bringing death everywhere I go?" And then she said, "You're not that important, sweetie," and it <laughs> it cracked me up, and it also brought me out of my narcissistic funk it was the, but it was the perfect thing for her to say to me it's but it's got to be hard to be funny when you're going through tragedy oh god well it not only is it hard to be funny you really questioned is this disgusting of me to even do this is this what right do i have to be up here doing but but then i was talking to my my shrink who at that point i was talking to like two or three times a week and he and he said you have a skill. You can make people laugh. People are also going through awful things out there. Yes, you have gone through an awful thing, and yes, you need to process it. But have have you during this time gone and looked at someone, someone's comedy special, or or watched someone's thing that made you laugh and gave you a little bit of hope? I'm sure they went through the same kind of darkness. Y you need to keep passing it around. Like that's part of what's going to help get the grief out of you is to find a way. He goes, I don't know how you're going to do it. But try to find a way to talk about it. And if not make it funny, make it understandable and make it 
empathetic. So with that mindset, that's how I started going back on stage like seven, eight months later. It was funny when my, well, not funny. I mean, it's not like you're making death funny. It's just right, right. There, there's, there's sort of ironically ridiculous things surrounding death. Oh my God. You know, that are just insane. And I, I knew that when I, I mean, I was alone when my mom I was with her when she died and, mm-hmm. you know, just recounting what that looked like was so hysterically funny, in my yes. opinion, because it was so odd. And when I went in to go see her before the cremation, you know, she's in, in the box and I was alone in the room <sighs> and I kept thinking like she was just going to jump up and 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 then I realized I hadn't, I had only picked out a top for her. I hadn't picked out a bottom. And so I'm looking at the, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, no, that that can't be like, but, and I was like, I have to look. I just have to look. (laughs) Of course, she had no pants on. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And so I looked, and when I wrote about it in a book, I called it, look, Ma, no pants. Hey, Mom, I'm sending (laughs) you into the afterlife with no pants. (laughs) (laughs) You know, without the, she would have appreciated that. Right, my mom. right. I remember um, a year after Michelle passed away, I went to visit her stone, you know, and I would visit her stone and speak with her. And But this was like one year, so I wanted to let her know that, you know, things are okay and Alice is okay. And uh, I'm sitting there and there is a adorable, adorable um, Asian family gathered around a stone, like one of their family members, like a hundred yards away. And they have brought food, like it's a whole day, like they're there with their loved one. And that's, it's beautiful, but they had brought a boom box and they were blaring <laughs> Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. And it was so <laughs> trebly. They, there was no bass on this thing. And it was just like this screeching. It felt like somebody was playing that song, but on a dentist drill and it was just filling the air. Oh. And I'm trying to talk with her. And and I and I eventually I think I said a version of listen I'm gonna go sit in my car and you, like you're a ghost you can like fly with me just come over there to the car and we'll talk <laughs> I cannot listen to this song like that it, it was so and I, I I didn't give the family the stink face that's the way I'd never judge how people mourn and they were together and happy but I was chased back into my car by. Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On because I could not listen to it anymore. <laughs> they had it on a loop. Brooke, it was on a loop. It was all they were playing. No. <sighs> no. It was, well, maybe it was her, his uh, favorite song. Uh, yeah. Again, not going to judge how people mourn, but good Lord. Wow. Get some bass, for God's <laughs> sake. Get some bass. I have found that um, grief definitely changes us. Oh boy. How do you think it's changed you? Um I it, it has made me much more open to maybe way ju- less judgmental about what affects people and makes them either sad or happy because I had to be very open about, you know, if if this is making me happy right now and getting me through the day then good. It got me past all that coolness. Like if someone tells me that something is hurting them or bother them, I I used to be guilty of doing the, well, that you shouldn't be bothered by that. That's not important. But now I'm very much about 
Let me hear what it is that's why it's bothering you. Like I'll, in other words, I'll just accept it a hundred percent, no judgment. And then I'll talk about it rather than, or like, Oh, you're listening to that music. Like who, if it's making someone happy, who cares? It's helping. Who cares what they're listening to as long as it's making them happy? So I, it really, it really blew me out of that whole thing of like, you know, like, like now when I get interviewed, um, cause I, I, I love movies and people ask me, what are your guilty pleasures? I'm like, I've, I've stopped having guilty pleasures. If I like something, there's no guilt to it. If a movie works, I'm, I'm into it. I don't, I don't judge it anymore. Has it changed your view of comedy in general and your comedy? I mean, it definitely, I don't know if it changed my, I mean, I, I still, you, I still have the same voice that I have. It just, I, I've experienced more things that I can think about it. It, ex, it, it expanded the canvas of my experience. I cursed the lesson and blessed the knowledge. I, I got some insight into some stuff that I would have been very happy not to have had insight into. But now that I do, I'm trying to use it for good, I guess. <laughs> so, you, you know, but... But there's that thing of like, hey, I don't know if I'd want to maybe go through that. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi there, Brooke Shields here. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile, artworks, and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in sunny California. I love Leslie's cozy and colorful pullovers. And with a full range of accessories and home decor, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. That's big. And this month, with every purchase, you'll receive a unique gift based on your order value. So what are you waiting for? Visit leslieevers.com and pick out something joyful today. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y-E-V-E-R-S.com. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. When did you notice that you were falling in love with this woman who was going to become your and your daughter's person? Well, here's how I met Meredith. Um, we have a lot of friends in common. And one of the friends we have in common is an actress named uh, Martha Plimpton. Love her. Martha rules, yeah. And Martha is one of those queen bee connectors. Everyone knows her. And she has these salons at her house where she'll have a dinner and invite various people to watch them interact. And she had a thing for the February after Michelle passed where she was like, hey, come have a dinner at the house. And I think I was either traveling that day or I was traveling and got delayed and stuck in it. And I could, but I couldn't go. And Meredith was one of the people that was going to be there because she's, they've known each other since they were teenagers. So I couldn't go. And then Meredith like sent me, said, hey, you missed the best lasagna ever. And then I messaged her back like, oh, hey, story of my life. Uh -huh. And then like, yeah. And then we just started talking. This is like at nine o'clock at night. We're just texting back and forth. Nothing flirty, just talking. And then the next night around nine, I like sent her, hey, wh what are you doing right now? So one of the things that I'm, of the many things I missed about Michelle was that you found, I had found someone, and this is what everyone, you know, when you're really deeply in love, it's someone you can talk to at the end of the day in the dark. At the end of the day, you lie next to them in the dark and you talk to them. And suddenly here's this, I'm just interacting with this mind and this personality. We're not talking on the phone. We're not talking face to face. It's just texting. And we started doing that every night for three months. We never spoke on the phone, never met, just got together. I, I put Alice to sleep and then we would just talk for like two hours. And then we just sort of fell in love doing it. Is there one thing that just as a family that you, you and Meredith have created that you are the most proud of? Wow, that's a good question. Well, we always do a thing at the end of the day. We name our rose, bud, and thorn, which is what was the rose of the day? What was the rose of the day? What's the what's the bud? What are you looking forward to? And then what was the thorn? And we connect on that. And so we just trade those off. And then we also um lot of uh we, we have a lot of board game traditions. We are very much a board game family. There's a lot of that going on. But also we we're, you know. Meredith and I are still, I think we're, because we're creatives, we're still very much connected to what it was like to be a little kid and then start moving into your teenage years. Alice, we still all love each other, but Alice is 13 now and she wants to hang out with her friends. And I know a lot of my friends, when their kids stop wanting to hang out as much, they kind of take it personally. It's like, no, that's actually a healthy thing that they're doing. They're supposed to separate from you a little bit and start to mold themselves. That's part of growing up. So it, it, it's exciting to see that, to see the kind of person she's becoming. And uh, to get out of her way. I mean, I... Yes. I, you know, my daughter's just living her life at college. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and it breaks your soul. It breaks your heart. And yet, you know, if you've done it right, that's what you want them to do. Yes. But yet, yeah, but it's heartbreaking. It's what, that's why the 
um, those Toy Story movies, I think, really hit people hard that no one was ready for that because the Toy Story films are about being a parent. It's you're this toy for this kid and the kid outgrows you. And, and you, you know, that's that, that, that line that Tom Hanks says, you're like, he's going to get sick of you and outgrow you. He goes, I know, but I wouldn't miss this. I still wouldn't miss this. And you're like, oh God, you know, it just that, that's exactly what being a parent is. Oh, I just bummed you out. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I, not at all. It is, it's, I'm, I'm living it. Um, I still have yeah. a 16 year old. Um, oh, and, wow. uh, has the oh, eye rolling started? Wow. As the eye, because oh, we're just I, I, getting the beginning of the eye rolling. That's nothing. That is the tip <laughs> of the iceberg. And <sighs> that's another, uh, yes, another part of yes. it, too. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. I'm like, what's, what's, you got something in your throat? How was school? It's good. Yeah, it's good. Things are good. They're fine. Fine. Good. Or what about right. what? <laughs> Mama. <laughs> Everything I was like, does that have two uh, syllables? What's up you, with that? Mama. I'm like, it's just there's a lot of that going. Um, oh yes. So again, that's I think they have to learn how to individuate, and they don't know how to, so they have to find reasons to hate us. Um, I think and justify you're right. Separating. I absolutely think that's you're right. That's my theory. Yeah. Yep. Dang it. Switching back to comedy. <laughs> A little bit. Uh, we're sort of in a very weird time mm-hmm. in in comedy, mm-hmm. and I cannot even imagine. Talk to me about where comedy is and how do you deal with it? Well, we're in a weird time in comedy, but we're not in a new time. There have been versions of this in the past. Whenever there is a new generation coming up that is more attuned to things that were, were either not spoken about in the past, or we're not as attuned to, there are people that will dig in and go, yeah, but I should still be able to do this because this is, well, you know, any art form, any art form has got to mutate and evolve and grow. And, you know, one thing I always remember when, when for years, for years, African-American people were like, you know, we're abused by the police and they do, and people were like, oh, this is just being made up. And then the police started wearing cameras and lo and behold, there's all this footage of police abuse. So I tend to, Air on the side of when a my when a minority group says something is happening that's I tend to now listen to them. So you know, as far as like you know, trans or or, or queer or anyone on the gender spectrum is saying, hey, there's a lot of hidden abuse and invisible abuse that you don't see. I tend to want to listen to that um, because because I had been so blind to stuff before. So um, if I got to adjust how I'm funny, then then I can adjust. I can, you know, I, I'm a comedian. I can write new stuff. I mean, you also got a lot of flack. Talking about these topics, you got a lot of flack for for posting a photo with Dave Chappelle I, earlier. I didn't really get the flack for posting the photo. I got the flack from certain quarters for then going, hey, he's still my friend. I still think he's a genius. I don't agree with his stance on trans people. And that's going to, and I realized that posting that um, may have, Hurt the feelings of some of my trans friends that I have, and I just wanted to clear that up. There, that can be, and and the, just that that nuance freaked people out. You know, there, there's this there's this weird culture now of cruelty for clout, and also this weird culture of no apologies ever. I'm like, I cannot imagine living a life with zero regrets or zero apologies. That is science fiction. That just doesn't exist. And but they've made this fantasy because what they're hearkening back to was there was a time when a certain 
economic level of straight white male didn't have to ever apologize or explain anything. And I think there's a generation of of young men that feel like I should have had a turn at that. And it's like, well, you know, those days were horrible, though. Is there because I, I I'm curious about how do you reconcile a friendship when there's such polarizing opinions? Do you just because I have I really really try to see there's just so much good and value in everybody. I mean, even people that I don't necessarily like. I mean, Davis, someone I really like and I think is genuinely brilliant, but it, it it's the 21st century, but we're starting to act like it's the ninth century where we're literally dividing ourselves up into feudal camps. And if you have this one opinion that you agree with, it must mean you must agree with these 900 other opinions. And that to me is insane. People are complex and and that's what makes life fun. And if we're going to, if it's going to be reduced to blue shirts versus red shirts, if it's going to be, you know, a snowball fight by five-year-olds, then uh, we're on a very, very bad path. What's amazing is if you read the thing that I wrote when I wrote my thing about the photo with Dave, it's, it's me embracing the fact that I'm in this difficult position and a lot of us are. And all these people that are always about the truth and you got to be a hundred percent real. It's like, I'm actually being real because this is really awkward and hard to talk about. But again, nuance now is looked at as weakness. Empathy is looked at as weakness. Doubt um, and self-reflection and struggling is looked at as weakness. But to me, that's always meant strength. Uh, to, to quote James Carville, we're going to have to let the actuary tables do their job. Uh, there's going to be, there's going to need to be some generations of people that need to just die. I know that's a terrible thing to say, but <laughs> in order to move us forward, it's like, yeah, we got to kind of- Whole generations. You know. Well, there was this, this is so, I can't believe I'm citing this. This is so weird. There's a Rankin Bass special. Remember Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all those little animated specials? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they made one called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And it's basically like mm-hmm. Santa Claus year one. It's his origin story. And the, the villain that's is right. this guy, the Burgermeister Meister Burger. Um, yes. Remember him? Yeah, and, and he's yes. like, there's no Christmas and Santa has to become like an outlaw. Remember? And, and then at the end, Santa Claus never really defeats Burgermeister. He just goes, I'll just move up north and change my name and come at night. And then, so the, and then, <laughs> and then this, little, this little kid's like, so what happened to the Burgermeister Meister Burger? And they're like, well, they kind of stayed in power, but then the family just sort of died out and everyone just kind of forgot about it. Like, it was that thing of like, no, sometimes you don't defeat the big villain. Sometimes the villain is defeated after the villain's dead. You know what I mean? Like, like I was like, I can't believe that is the most weirdly mature thing to have in a children's cartoon of like, how did he defeat them? Oh, he didn't. He just eventually died and everyone ignored him. Like, he was like, wow. And that happens with people. I, I It's so funny because I remember him, for some reason, I remember him turning sweet. No, that was the something. evil... Oh my God, I'm such a nerd. There was an evil ice wizard. Remember the ice wizard? Oh, the and then Santa gives him a toy the other. But then Santa gives him a toy. He gives him a gift. He's like, no one's ever got given me a gift. And it melts his heart and he becomes nice. Right. Remember that? That's what I'm getting them confused <laughs> with. But thank you for clearing that up. I, I loved um I lived in um Rudolph. He said I was cute. He said I was cute. With the nose. With oh my the little, god, the, the nose big and nose the, the, the elf 
I was and always the, haunted by so, the the Island of Misfit Toys because yes, the train oh. has square wheels. I get it. Yes, it's a truck. But then there's just this dolly there. Like she doesn't I'm look really weird. creepy. Like, the whole is, thing. Like was she murdering people? Why is she banished to this island? <laughs> like the other the other toys are are malfunctioning. But what was her deal? <laughs> I don't want to yeah. know. <laughs> That's it for us today. If you want to hear more from Patton Oswalt, check out his newest comedy special, We All Scream, streaming now on Netflix. If you want to hear more from me, well, you have to subscribe to this show. Now What? with Brooke Shields on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Now What is produced by the wonderful Julia Weaver, with help from Darby Masters. Our executive producer is Christina Everett. The show is mixed by Bahid Frazier and Christian Bowman. A special thanks to Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Hi there, it's Brooke Shields. If you're like me, you know the importance of surrounding yourself with things that bring you joy. And few designers spark more joy than Leslie Evers. All of their textile artworks and print designs are created in-house, and a large portion of the collection is made in California. I love Leslie's colorful pullovers, and with a full range of accessories, there's something on the site for everyone. Leslie Evers offers free shipping on all orders. And this month, you'll receive a unique gift with every purchase. Go spark some joy at leslieevers.com. That's L-E-S-L-E-Y. E-V-E-R-S dot com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.